Welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Upriser podcast brought to you by Topcoder. Hi, I'm Clinton Bonner, VP at, at Topcoder, and I have a very special guest. Uh, you know, sometimes when you have a podcast and, and you put it out there yourself, yeah, we've had guests on from, from Wellmark and NASA, and we've had guests on from Swisscom and UC Berkeley, really all, all across the globe. And you know what? Sometimes you go a little little closer to home. Sometimes you bring on your chief technology officer. Sometimes you go to the CTO at Topcoder and say, say, Dave Messenger, we got a really cool topic to talk about today. And by the way, geolocation-wise, Dave and I are only about, I don't know, 30 miles away in Connecticut. So, but I do want to welcome to the Upriser audience, Dave Messenger, CTO at Topcoder. Dave, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for the uh, warm introduction. I'm always a podcast fan, so it's, it's fantastic to be on one as well. Yeah, Matt, you, you've been one of my best sources of like, you know, just uh, podcast discovery, you know, back in the day, I guess it's not that long ago, but you know, there was, there was Pandora, but now there's just Messenger, like you, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you should have your own service for that. But podcast discovery via you has been a boon to my knowledge, which is, which is good because Lord knows I could use it, but it's, it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, so, so we, so we, you know, Dave, this actually stems from starting back at TCO19. So for the audience that might not know what the heck is TCO. So that's our top coder open, uh, 19 being the, the 2019 year. We did it in Houston, Texas last year. Really good time. And TCO, for those that don't know, is like, think of it as like our best of our best, right? Our, our best and brightest performers throughout the top coder uh, community. We rank them and th- throughout the entire year they compete. They earn a spot to come. We fly them from across the globe, and then they compete to be like the champion within their track, whether that's like an algorithmist or, or designer or developer, and diff- different skill sets that we're catering to and really championing. Uh, and Dave, your keynote at, um, at TCO19 at our Innovation Summit was really all about kind of this, the, the, false, the false notion that there's talent scarcity out there. And, and if you look at talent and look at, you look at the global talent pool in a different way, um, actually the world's kind of your oyster. So can you give a little bit of just more color to that particular keynote and, and the key points you were driving home? Yeah. So I, I think in, in my, in my keynote, what I tried to focus on was really the aspects that the talent is out there. And it just depends on how you leverage the talent. When you look at yourself and you're constrained by people inside your four walls, who's already on your team, you know, I think most organizations, even when you go to get like a contingent worker or a staff odd worker, it might take six, six weeks, eight weeks to ramp someone up and get them going. Yeah. But if you start thinking about it in different ways and ways you do uh, your work and how you can actually optimize your development process or even take development out of it, whether it's even in business consultants or creative, you can use platforms like Congo and others where you can tap into people on demand and really change the throughput of your own workforce by just looking at things slightly differently. And, and that's, you know, that's a different doing things differently is always scary when you're first tackling something. So I think it's just coming to it with the eyes wide open. Yeah, I think it's, you know, obviously we've worked together for quite a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but, for, but, but there's so many out there, like we do live in our 
our crowdsourcing slash top coder open talent bubble because we've been doing this for, you know, you 15 plus years, me 10 plus years and top coder going on year 20 next year. Um, so, you know, for us, it's kind of like it becomes second nature that of, of course, why, of course, why wouldn't you look outside, uh, look outside for, for talent and, and the ways to stream into stream into that and tap it for different aspects of your business, not to replace, you know, full-timers, but to augment it and give your full-timers extra access to capacity, specialized skill sets, all the, all the things that are now available, which is, you know, we see, we see every day smart organizations tapping it just like that and really, really accelerating how much they can get done. And there has been this, this bifurcation or this, this inflection point that we've, we've been through COVID, still going through it, obviously, and things are going to change. Uh, I, I, I hate the term new normal. I just think it's, I think it's dumb and overused. However, there just is a next, you know, things, there's always events and then things will, things will change. There'll be some inflection point and, and new things will arise. And we're, we're kind of in that mode now. And we've seen as a business, and I think as kind of a, a quote unquote industry wide, we've seen this this almost like renaissance or this quick, quick adoption of so many things that set the table for like an outside in philosophy or like an all in talent strategy to combine outside talent with inside talent. And one of the things that came up, I think it was just last week, was a, a new Garten report that caught your eye, caught my eye that was titled, and we'll link to this by the way, but it's titled Nine Future of Work Trends Post-COVID-19. And it's it's pretty it's pretty good, you know. There was it was I, I thought it was rather thoughtful. I thought there were so many of the elements that were really, really rooted in the idea of wait, things have changed dramatically. And if you take your blinders off and look at look at workforce strategy differently, um, you know, th- then you could really have a, a just a much more obtuse. I mean, in a good way, obtuse viewpoint of how you could tap talent, what kind of talent you could tap. So we wanted to kind of go over some of those today. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, of the nine, we really liked a bunch of them, but there's one in particular that we, that when you came to me and said that it was number two, we'll go over it, but like, yeah, number two, number two is terrible. And I was like, you know, that'd be pretty cool to talk about, like talk about and to tease it out there that one of these is just kind of antithesis to what you believe as, as an executive at Top Coder, I think as a person as well. We want to dive into that as well and talk about alternatives to what Gartner's positioning. So you know, why don't we dive right in and look at some of these future of work trends. I'll volley it over to you first. Why don't you take your pick of the litter of the nine? What's one that really caught your eye as, as a positive and like a trend that you see and you believe in? Sure. So I guess uh, with the first pick overall, I'll take the number <laughs> one uh, rated one here, which was the increase in remote working. So I think the interesting stat there was prior to COVID-19, they said about 30% of employees will work from home, at least part-time. And they said post-COVID-19, they're expecting that to be around 48%. Which I think, yeah. you know, I think... Slam yeah. the over on that one. <laughs> I think it's going to be well above that, but the, the bizarre to cut you off. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that that's definitely... That trend was coming one way or another, and I think right. COVID was just an accelerator of that. Yeah, you know, we, we, had, we had covered this... Pre-COVID, uh, we put out a, a you know kind of a future of work series, and one of them was was called like remote work is booming. So what's next? And we were looking at a a buffer and angel list study that was put out uh, right at the you know January 20, 2020 that was done in in late twenty nineteen. And some of those stats were really, really compelling, uh, such that like, you know, upwards of, I think, I think it was like 90 some odd percent of people wanted 
at least some flexibility. They, they, they desired some remote work, not all the time, but they wanted remote to be at least a component of their, their, their work life. Um, and that was, again, pre-COVID. And, and then so many people, of course, were suddenly remote. Uh, and, you know, there's, there are productivity gains. Now, do I miss going out and going to events and hopping on a plane? I do. I, I want to get back to that. But you and I have worked remote now for, again, you 15 years or so, me 10 plus years. And we know the efficiencies. We know what, what, we're, what, it, what it provides us in terms of family time and provides us in terms of, I don't have to spend you know, two hours a day staring at a windshield um, and how much more productive and effective we can be. So I'm with you on that one. I, I definitely think that 48% seems rather light, especially when you start to look at like, I think it was JP Morgan, maybe 10 days ago or so, this is Wall Street. And, and they come out and, you know, the, the most powerful bull on Wall Street, J.P. Morgan, comes out and says, you know what, going forward, this percentage of our workforce can be remote. And if they're in, you know, and that's like New York City people. And if they're in Jersey or other, or other offshoots, uh, they can be remote like, you know, upwards of a third to two thirds of their time. If that's happening in Wall Street, then I think you got to bet your bottom dollar that's going to happen in any scenario where you could, where you could do your work uh, with, with an internet connection nowadays. Yeah. And I, and I think too, like, even because of COVID, uh, and I can I completely agree with you, but people haven't really even understood exactly what work from home is going to be like because it's it's much different. Like I tell people, even I've have not gone into an office. The last time I was in an office consistently was probably two thousand nine, so it's been eleven years for me. And even myself with COVID, like you know, stress and things of dealing with a pandemic, having the kids home, trying to do distance learning. You know, maybe people didn't have a chance to set up their office the correct way that, and I think people still saw huge productivity gains. And when you think about having time to be prepared and and getting your environment set and, you know, things, kids going back to school and families returning to their normal work routines that you'll see, you know, kind of people have take the time to set up their environments and, and those things. And I think that was the other point in the Gartner piece was they talked a lot about the software systems and enablement of those software systems. I think my only concern or downside I'd see around this is when people do go back to maybe call it a hybrid where maybe 30% of the time they're in the office or maybe say a third of their employees are remote and two thirds are working from home. Uh, If they're not deliberate about including those people in digital communications and doing more things digitally, then you can leave remote workers kind of out out on the edges. Um, so I think we may see a little bit of a, uh, you know, the trough of disillusionment. As yeah. they say. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of Gartner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No. Things came really well. And then I think it'll always, it'll come back. We may see a little bit of a slide back. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you there too. I, you know, to avoid hyperbole and say the office is dead and cities are dead, you know, cities have their own, have different issues right now than remote work. And, um, you know, and things do bounce back. You know, we saw after 9-11, there was such a, such a worry and fear and, and exodus of, of New York City in many ways. And of course, you know, five, six, 10 years later, it's like, it was it was booming once again. So I think those things will kind of ebb and flow with different societal, just, you know, things that happen as well. But overall, I'm definitely not on the hype train of the office is dead and people won't go back there. But to your point, you know, like I make it a point in my in my mornings to try and have um, try and have some early AM discussions with other humans. And sometimes it doesn't always work out that way for for my team and my work. But I, I do recognize that, like, if it's like two o'clock and I haven't 
actually had or one o'clock or even noon, and I haven't really had like a thoughtful discussion with a teammate yet or even a catch-up discussion, even a couple hours, you can start to feel removed. So you, you, you're correct. You have to think through those things and, uh, and just, you know, just think about the psychology, think about the individuals and how do you help them still really, really maintain what is a, for many, such a core component of like th- that their social fabric is work and it can, it absolutely can happen digitally. Um, but it, but it does take forethought. So I think it's an awesome point. So I'll take the, the number two stab here, Dave. I like the, the fantasy football draft. I was, I was uh, on Long Island this past weekend, went to a live fantasy football draft. We had the big board and everything. If I could tilt my computer, you'd see the championship trophy right behind me because we took it last year. Rather nice. But for number two, there was one on there also they talked about that was just the fact that the Gartner's predicting the contingent workforce is going to grow by about a third, about 32%. Now they go on to talk about, they're really talking about FTE replacement, which is something we don't, we don't you know, particularly champion at Top Coda. We're more about blended workforces and taking your FTEs and you know, uh, weaving in freelance to, to make it more powerful. However, you know, we also don't control those things. You know, what's happening with it, with an economy and if they're looking at, if they're looking at a certain cost cutting things they have to go do, it is, it, that's kind of is what it is in the sense that individual business businesses are going to do what they do. The fact remains they're looking to, to ramp up contingent workforces by about a third. Um, that's a huge number. I mean, we're, this is, I mean, they're, they're talking to, to the biggest, you know, enterprises across the globe, a third, a third boon in, in freelance work in something that's already accelerated quite a bit. Where do you think that places those kind of numbers? I mean, what are we into the billions? What's your, what's your sense of that? I mean, I think it was, a, I'd have to double check my numbers, but it was, I think it was a McKinsey where they said, you know, total IT services is around 1.2 billion or something along those lines. And the contingents staffing was growing, you know, roughly a third of that. Um, within, by 2025, it was going to be up in $3 billion. Um, but the interesting thing was that majority of that, like right now, like 25% is platform based. So most of that is like, you know, your manpower is your, your big kind of staffing firms adding people. But it was like 25% of that is predicted in 2020 to go through a platform and then it's going to be 35% and 45%. And then it's like, I think up by 2025, it's up to 67% will be driven by a platform. So I think that's an interesting metric in that you know, just the, the new way of on-demand workforces. And I think that's where, you know, when you talk about the HR people and, and these things that Gartner's speaking to, you know, mm-hmm. your fantasy draft, right? They're going to have to manage, figure out how to manage waiver wires, how to manage benches, how to swap talent in and out in an effective manner, fast and efficiently. And I think that's only ever going to be done once you get onto a platform versus like, you know, calling up a staffing agency, getting sent over a bunch of resumes, interviewing people, moving back and forth. That just doesn't, you know, that's kind of like the old way of uh, using your fantasy football analogy of, you know, waiting until the morning day to get your get staff. The paper. <laughs> yeah. Go check the paper and see, and then, then do, do the math, right? No, it's a great analogy to carry forward. I was talking with uh, Barry Matthews, who who uh, has just recently recently left ISG. He, he, he led Northern Europe there for, for quite a while. Um, and he's actually starting a starting a consultancy focused on uh, sourcing. But but to the to that exact point, the idea of giving enterprises like a clear strategy and way to look at work, no matter no matter how the work starts or how the work needs to get done, but then to have a centralized way to quickly 
uh, understand what elements of that work should go where. You know, so like, you know, should part of it go to the crowd? Should part of it go to contractors? What part should be with with your full timers? And building in that logic, the governance, and the process, so that it's it's repeatable, scalable, and at the end, just hyper efficient. So the discussion Barry and I were, were having is like in 2010, the 2008 when Steve Jobs held up an iPhone. You know, kind of the chief digital officer was kind of born at that point. The need for a chief digital officer really took off in the 2010s. And we were discussing, well, is the 2020s the era where you need some role that's really looking at orchestration of talent? That's not just CHRO, but the application of talent, like who goes where, when, and and who would own that? So do you have an, uh, any take on that part? Like, is it a new role? Is it an evolved role? What, what do you think? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I assume that will be the HR function. You know, I think where I've seen really good, you know, I think in some places they don't even call them HR functions, they call them people functions. Yep. Yep. We've had the lot, you know, like a couple that we've worked with, I think have been really good at, you know, we were owned by Aperio and, uh, you know, I think companies that are thinking strategically around like, what is the people function in the business and how do you align the people and not just so that the people are driving the business, but it's working beneficially to both ways. So I think if you have the, the right leader in HR, it'll make a big difference. I mean, like some of the ways I say even to start with crowdsourcing is, uh, you know, I think one thing about a nice platform is you can find people that like to be testers. Uh, yeah. Just speaking for myself, I was never much of a, I'm not the world's best tester. I tend to just do one test and say it's good to go versus <laughs> exactly as I should be. And I mean, that's a great way, like, so if you can add testing early up in the process, it's proven that it reduces a ton of costs, a ton of bugs. You know, it's something even my team, we've been, had struggled a little bit to get involved, but we've, we've done it recently. It's made big differences. But, you know, that's a great lift that if you can remove that off your most productive developers, you know, so if you have HR and their kelp and career, you know, your people, people and they're coaching your best developers that want to move up in the world and they say like, Hey, well, how do I, can you do these things? Can you stretch more time? Hey, maybe you should look to get these tasks off. We can pull in this platform to help you remove these pieces. I feel like that's all kind of in the coach people role as well as the engineering department. Um, so I do think like HR will involve a lot to be more kind of people career business focused, not yeah. saying it now, but. I think no, so. but but it's it it is the shift. It, it is a shift from doing things that are like back office, you know, HR, right? Like running the business. It's kind of like Gartner talked about several years ago with like you got that pyramid where it's like you've got to run the business and that's got to stay there, and, and that's the part you really can't mess with. You have to run the business, and then you have to have this in their in their you know vision the layer on top of that, which was the, the kind of the innovation layer, the top top line generating uh, revenue maker and the ability to go to go rapidly experiment. So it's, it, I see it being fairly similar to say, well, you still got to, of course, run your business. It's got to be efficient. You got to make it, hopefully make it a, a pleasure for your employees or at least make it not a pain in the ass for your employees, like one or the other, uh, or, or some, you know, variant between those, those two um, states. Uh, and then the ability to say to like, if it's a CHRO or chief people officer to, to talk what you just said, and that's really like people optimization, but via platform. Not just, hey, we're going to reskill you with a particular skill. It's like, what if we plug you into this matrix and you could tap these four or five platforms that then give you and your team 
you know, just so much, so much more of a capacity. Like what, what happens and how do you monitor that? I think it's going to be fat. I think that the 2020s will be kind of full of a lot of that stuff. And, uh, you know, there'll be some trough of disillusionment as that happens too, but it's, it's going to be exciting to kind of watch too. But we are getting into the ideas of like skills, you know, skills versus, uh, versus roles, which I think there was another one you might've flagged in the Gartner report that you wanted to kind of call out too. Yeah. And that was number five was, they talked a lot about separating roles from skills. And, and I, think, I think that's another great way to, to look at it. You know, just focusing less on roles and what are you doing to drive that, your organization's competitive advantage and driving that, driving your company forward. So I think that's, that's critical. And, and what skills and outcomes do you need to do that? And then rewarding people in that manner uh, that is something you know we've always historically looked at. Top coder as really being outcomes focused versus hourly time put into something or, or what what the right um, metric is. But yeah, in companies becoming more outcome focused and focusing on those skills that can drive those outcomes. Just it just again further aligns the business with the people with the goals they're trying to get done. Um, and I think it also just sets the right incentives. I know like myself personally, one thing I've done COVID is I've taken two Udemy classes in a Coursera class, right? And um, I've tried to keep learning new new things and always have. And, you know, I think rewarding that where you're picking up new skills and you're moving forward versus like, hey, I'm now architect class two or class three and I need to get up to this thing, like, kind of aligning those roles versus skills it just it doesn't doesn't set the right right goals well i mean how does it play itself out inside an organization like if an organization is like okay we've got this roadmap right that that's what it comes down to is like an executive team is going to set a vision right and say this is where we're headed okay cool then it's going to hit the vps or directors and, and they're going to start to execute on that and it's going to break down into quarters and projects that, that make up the quarters um but how does that skills versus or skills with uh, a roles vision, like where does the rubber meet the road there? It's like, how do you, what actions would you recommend people take when it's like, okay, well, when you're looking at that roadmap, do these things instead of, you know, things you might've done in the past. The big thing in the past is companies have tended to look at, you know, how do I get to the next spot and um, versus investing in the, in, in the individual itself or in the skills, right? So in other words, if you needed to go do a Salesforce implementation, a company might just say, okay, we're going to go and go get Salesforce talent to come in and do that. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe the right direction there is, hey, how do we get a cloud native development stack or train our people so they become knowledgeable on how to do cloud native development. And maybe that's like, hey, here's how I integrate Salesforce with Amazon with these other pieces. And then by investing in your people and looking at it holistically, that also will then give you kind of a, a, a wedge point with now that person, if they can understand those concepts and what means for your business, and they can then proliferate the work to other people, you're going to get that kind of exponential return on that individual because now they are thinking in terms of what's the right direction, what's the right tasks that's going to drive those outcomes for my organization. Here are the skills I need to do to go do that. And then 
versus thinking of it on a point by point basis where, you know, you might need that skill for three or four months and then you're going to need another skill for three or four months. And if you're doing that and you're training those skills, you're going to lag probably three months of training, three to four months implemented, three months to train and maybe, or you're doing a lot of hiring or switching. It's, it becomes a difficult, it slows you down and becomes expensive. Yeah. But it's, it circles back to becoming less and less efficient and, and the whole, the, the machinery that you're trying to build really kind of grinds, grinds the halts in different parts. And uh, yeah, just not that, that can be frustrating for in, in all sorts of ways. And, and at the end of the day, it's not going to be uh, as productive as you want to be. So that, that definitely provides clarity. I appreciate it. And then the other, the fourth one, with the fourth pick here, there was one more that really spoke uh, to me. And I know, I know you pointed it out as well. They talk about in the Gartner report, uh, this idea of uh, that a, an organization used to design for, we were just talking about, but designing for efficiency is what organizations have done for, you know, quite a while now. Once, once the computer age hit and people started really looking at, uh, you know, the, the modern philosophies of management and really designing for efficiencies. And now a huge shift to, again, the, the idea of suddenly designing for resiliency. Right, so just designing for, you know, designing for the fact that we do have black swans in our lives, and I think it's kind of funny. Like I'm a New Yorker, right? I already mentioned, uh, you know, 9/11. We're talking about uh, talking about uh, Wall Street, but I think people forget that, you know, 2001 ma- major global event, 2007, 2008 housing crisis that that went global, major major global event, and of course we have a pandemic that hits in 2020. So. You end up with like three, at least three major, major disruptions that were global business disruptions within a 20-year span. So the idea that I think people's memories are short, you know, people just forget a couple of years later, they forget that they went through something really, really different. And now maybe this time it's just like, well, this was a virus. This was a, this was something that just came along and literally swept across the globe. And, you know, it's, it, it's going to happen again in some in some capacity. Maybe not COVID. Maybe not for twenty more years. Hopefully, but uh, but there's going to be something else that arises that's going to be highly disruptive to business. So what changes this time? And when you hear the word designing for resiliency versus efficiency, what does that mean to you? When you when you mention the Black Swan and, and the name of the author escapes me right now, but he wrote the Black Swan. He also wrote the Anti Fragility book. Yep, which are both uh, fantastic books. And, you know, that's sort of, you know, when I think of platforms and the combination of platforms in the gig economy, and that's sort of what we're always trying to build for is that, that resilient organization. And I think if you think of, take example, like we always say at Top Twitter, we want to be the operating system for talent. And a lot of what, you know, if you think of that analogy, is the operating system is what keeps your computer safe, right? Like prevents that company, that program from invading this other memory space, or if it crashes, it doesn't bring down your whole computer. And how do you build things so that, you know, they're not just fragile or um, robust, right? In other words, robust, I think in his book, he said, is where things that are immune to volatility, so that volatility doesn't affect you, but to be anti-fragile is when that volatility hits them, that you actually become stronger. And I think that's where most organizations, you know, street, you know, start maybe with being robust, but look at being that anti-fragility uh, area. And I think you see a lot of companies now, like look at what Zoom's done with COVID yeah. or um, 
And there was just, uh, I heard an, an event company where they've actually tripled their revenue because they were able to move a, their platform to do support uh, virtual events. You know, a small one, it was a uh, hop-in who we're using now for um, the top quarter opens. Yep. But, you know, just being able to pivot and, you know, and so if you think of what tools you can have, so being able to tap into remote workers, being able to have redundancy in your software, your digital world, I think as more and more things become digital, you can design your organization with those anti-fragility type uh, goals and metrics around it. And, and I think that's, that's really what digital transformation is for me is, it's not simply just taking your business online and replacing your brick and mortar and, and or supporting your brick and mortar that way. But like, what are the ways that you can actually make it more? And no one's going to be immune to these things, but more resilient and can actually, in some ways, you hate to say the word benefit because no one benefits from a pandemic, but, but that can take advantages of situations as they appear. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I spoke with uh, Mark Searle of UC Berkeley and he, he used the the terminology like being like intentionally serendipitous, like, like, like basically being intentionally ready for fortune, you know, and, and having that mindset. I think it goes really right into this, this concept too, that if you're underprepared or just not, not resilient, you know, the next time the wave comes over, you're, you're just, you're kind of back to square zero and you've got to, you got to scramble all over again. And there's probably so many amazing case studies, like HBR style studies that will be written, you know, post pandemic that are like those, the stories you were alluding to, that's like, no, they were able to either pivot really quickly or because of choices they made well before, you know, a pandemic was even, even in our nomenclature, uh, besides like zombie movies, um, the, they just were, they were ready because they made good business decisions that also gave them the flexibility. It wasn't just, oh, I want to be resilient. It was, no, we're going to, we're going to move to cloud. We're going to be, we're going to be here and be ready because it's better for our business. And oh, by the way, when we get molly whomped across the head with something, we're actually way more flexible. And I think uh, one of the great conversations we've had recently on, on the Upriser podcast was with uh, Paul Livko, who is a CTO and uh, CXO of uh, Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield. And he talks very openly. He's like, hey, he's like, I look at talent as, as all in straight across the board. He's like, and during the pandemic, he's like crowdsourcing, which they do use TopCoder. He's like, that was the only, uh, the only medium for me, if, if you use that term, you know, there that didn't fit, didn't have disruption where he could just keep going through, through crowds. He could go through the top coder platform and still get the work done. Meanwhile, his contractors and of course the FTEs, they, they had to take a, at least a little bit of time to get into whatever their, their next was going to go be. And instead of those five or 10 days or, or two weeks, they're able to continue on with uh, with the use of, of of a flexible way like crowd. You know, I don't think he was designing for resiliency in the first go. He was designing for it to be effective. And then when when he when it be, you know when it became obvious that there was this major disruption, he was able to quickly pivot. So I think there's a lot, so many lessons that we learn from uh, from just different enterprises that that can just ready themselves that way. And again, it's not just like an insurance policy. It's not just like oh, let's just get into a safe position. It's like no, no, no. You could. 
you could actually get yourself into a much more productive position that has the benefit of being flexible. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a consequence of it, not, not the reason you maybe go do it. But now that you're designing for it and Gartner's calling it out, well, let me look at open talent, look at crowd because it really, it really can drive those things. So, so mess, we went through, by the way, anybody out there, we affectionately call Dave Messenger mess. So it's, it's a, it's a term of endearment and, and we mean that very sincerely. So mess, we looked at four of these that we liked, you know, there was nine, four of them really spoke to the idea of using open talent, using platforms. However, one really, you know, I think you, I think your comment to me on, on, uh, you know, on IM was, you know, like this one sucks <laughs> or so, something, something as like, you know, just obvious as that, like number two sucks. So we teased it earlier. What's the one that kind of stuck out to you? It was like a thorn in your side and you're like, you know, you, you just had a complete, you know, complete visceral reaction to it. And, and why did it bug you so much? Yeah. And, and that was uh, number two, which was basically the future of employee monitoring in that companies need to revisit how they, um, monitor basically traditional and non-traditional employees and how do you get them comfortable with that? Hmm. And some of the things they were talking about was like basically monitoring how often someone's on their laptop, what websites are they hitting, uh, analyzing the text of their email, social media messaging, scrutinizing who's meeting them, gathering biometric data, uh, understanding how employees are utilizing their workspace. Those are, I read right off the, uh, the website. And to me, like, you know, I think just because an employee's at home, does that mean that you trust that person significantly less? Like if we were all in the office, would you recommend putting all these type of monitoring tools and overlook the employee that way. And I, and I think the answer is no, that, you know, companies weren't doing that and nor would that be a goal to drive those spots. And I think to me, like trust just drives so much in transparency and collaboration. And when you have to put those tools, you're just going to set up a us versus them mentality between your employees or your non-traditional employees and, and the company. And, and believe me, uh, I understand like, we have full disk encryption on our machines. We do, you know, having um, virus, antivirus software, you know, having certain things on your laptop endpoint securities is, is a worthy um, discussion. I think there's a, there's a discussion of where to draw the line. And maybe if you're dealing with like HIPAA or financial data, that's a, um, a different area. Monitoring your employees feels more like a digitally uh, indentured servitude than it does like a true kind of partnership between the employee and the employer. And I think that just comes down to, again, trust. You know, if I want to go check on my fantasy football team for 10 minutes in the middle of the day, or if, you know, my kid, I think one of the benefits of working at home is if my kid's playing basketball, and I want to catch the last quarter or the second half and I want to jump out and I let my teammates know, then that should be okay. And I'm sure for the most part, people pick it up or if you have other kind of issues that will get brought up in other areas, but allowing people the space to do things and not have big brother watching over their shoulders is going to make people more productive. And I think you've even seen there's been more issues with people overworking at home than underworking at home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, and that's, that's something that like, I think, 
all of us at Top Coder, or at least at least many that I've talked to at Top Coder, like we've had to learn over time is like, hey, just because I don't have you know two and a half hour commute back and forth, uh, total day or two hour commute, it doesn't mean I have to jam 14 hours into my day. And, and in fact, it's probably probably not healthy that I do. Hey, sometimes there's projects and they're due. We don't punch a clock. We, we, we do what we got to do to get it done. And there's there's also the times where I, I coach my son's little league team. And, you know, if, if it's got to close at 445 for the day because I got to be at the field by 530 and it's, you know, it's a 10, 10 minute drive, that, then that's that. And like you said, it's really more about, it, it is communication and trust and just, just having, and, and I really think it's two other things too. It's like, it's number one is if we're gearing towards skills over roles and we're gearing towards outcomes over, over roles that isn't setting up this big brother network, you know, antithesis to that in, in many ways. And I think the second piece is like you said, well, would you do that in an office? And if the answer is no, and you know, just discover why would the answer be no, go a little deeper for me. It's like, well, it would be a really crappy culture. Like who, who would want to be there? Right, there's no trust, and you're being you're being monitored 24/7. It's like, no, it's not it's not how work gets done in, in a healthy way, where where you're building things that matter. Um, so why in the world would you try to just replicate that digitally, or think you have to replicate that digitally because now all of a sudden the person's home? I think there's so many softer things you can do, psychological things you can do to make sure people are included, to make sure that the human element is not lost when when you when you go to some remote or all remote versus um, versus putting another camera and, and more data uh, on top of that person because actually you think you're being more human and I think you're having the exact opposite effect. Yeah, and, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not one for saying someone needs to be always on or always connected. Yeah. But if you give them that flexibility and imagine like instead of spending the, and I'm sure those monitoring softwares and AI products are not cheap. You know, at Top Coder, we pay for people's cell phone bill, their home internet access. You know, imagine if you took that and invested more into the individual. Like maybe you give them more data plans. And if they have to run out to the softball field, you know, we want them to enjoy the softball game. But if they got to pick up a call or, or respond to a message or, or surf, you know, answer something online, you know, giving them that flexibility, uh, I think you're still saving a ton of money over office costs over costs of monitoring people. Um, and to be honest with you too, I, I have yet to see where those monitoring software has not caused more either slower computers, unhappy employees, that I think a huge productivity drain and cost drain and that you could just really pivot, pivot that money. You know, maybe use that money for a, a company get together or different ways to kind of build that loyalty and trust and monitoring, you know, Slack licenses, things, things like that much better way to go. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think it's, there's some discovery there. Maybe, maybe it whips back into the chief, the chief people officer role or just someone who's going to be looking in the 2020s at the orchestration of, of what this next blend of, of workforce strategy looks like. Um, but yeah, if, if, I, if it's a roulette table, not that it's a gamble, but I would definitely lay the chips on the things you were mentioning versus uh, more, more tracking software. It just you know, to me, one feels like it's gonna, it's, it's you're planting a seed, and another one feels like you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're suffocating, you're suffocating the plants. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not giving it water, you're not giving it an environment where, where it can actually go do the things that you want uh, the person to do, which is just be valuable. You know, be valuable, be a great communicator, be, be, um, be consistent, right? And then, yeah. and then also have the effect of, of, of um, their good work spreading to the next person, and you know, the kind of an action begets action, and. 
and um, you know uh, motion and, and the way people work together as a unit, even though they're distributed, um, really matters over time. And I was having a really good conversation with uh, with Adam Moorhead, who's who's our VP of Community. He's he's worn a lot of hats at Top Coder, and one of the things he said at the end of a conversation, paraphrasing a little bit, he's like he said something along the lines of. Um, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I know he's like, even though we're all apart, he's like, I know we've all been together for a long time, which is, which is really cool. And, and meaning like we've, we've been a distributed company for quite a while. However, it's kind of like, you know, uh, a, a QB with, with it, with his favorite receiver out there to continue, continue the analogies where you just kind of know where the person's going to be. You trust they're going to be there because they've done it before with you. And just again, having that kind of culture and getting to those kind of places where you have that level of trust, um, it makes, it makes all the difference. So I think it's, I think it's such a, such a cool and, and important point. Yeah. That's a, I love that. That's a great quote. Yeah. I mean, I think the other interesting thing too, is that if you look at like one of the gotten ones we didn't talk about number six was around the humanization of employees or yeah. like the human humanization they talk about, which I think is really important. It's like treating task workers, just like an employee. It's another good spot where the people officer or people role can get involved. But I feel like when you say combine number two and number six together, they're the exact opposite ends of the right. spectrum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just treat treat everybody like like they're you know like they're you know employees and and be more human to them and and oh by the way make sure you monitor them twenty four seven. It's like they they don't exist in the same in the same universe. They're very much uh, you know like an, an antimatter to, to to themselves. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a definitely an interesting point. I did a webinar a couple of months ago for. Um, an organization called uh, Core Sourcing up in Canada, really, really cool group. And they invited us in to talk about the philosophies of, of using open talent and using it at scale. And I actually put my org chart up on the board and I talked through it. And for me, I, I use crowds and, and you know freelancers and crowds and platforms every single day and as, as parts of, as many parts of my organization to get content done, to get transcription, to get video services and, and in my role at marketing and other things. And one of the biggest things that I've learned over time, again, it goes back to trust, is not just using crowd for just the, the, the task stuff and just the, hey, go do this one thing, but, but also working with um, platforms and then elevating people into roles where they themselves, even as a freelancer, manage work streams. They don't manage, they don't just do one thing. They're not an individual contributor. I've got Folks in the crowd, if you will, freelancers managing workflows of of things that would traditionally be, you know, maybe, maybe you know, uh, certainly manager level, maybe even senior manager, and even up to director level of just. And but you get that trust, and I don't treat those people at all. They're they're in my meetings. If we could physically get on planes and we do, you know, offsites, they're getting invited. You know, I want them there. And when I go to try to hire people like that, they're like, no, no, no. I'm really happy being. I'm really happy being, you know, a freelancer. They love the lifestyle, right? So it's just, it's just that realization that you could, it's not just about finding broader skill, but you could up-level the individuals and then the platforms to keep doing higher and higher value things within the, the workflows you're creating too. Yeah, I think, and you do a great job of that, Clinton, um, of pulling in all the different platforms and contractors and um, being able to scale and get done with what you do with your size of your organization is impressive. But I, you know, it's exactly what you said. It's like that number six on the Gartner one where it's like, you know, humanizing things versus like, you know, a Philip Dick dystopian future sci-fi movie where everyone's getting monitored and, um, 
you know, that's a, that's a much two, two opposite extremes. So I think, you know, I, I still just find it really odd that that one even made it into this list at all. But, um, the rest, the rest, I think were great. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a worthy piece and we're going to, we'll blog about this too. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll go out there on social and we'll, uh, you know, it's good to have a counterpoint of view. Right. And, and I think we have a strong one and we, and it's based in our experiences as to, you know, why, especially for you, why you think this is, uh, why I think number two is really just not a good idea for organization. So we'll put it out there. We'll see if we can get some, uh, some other reactions and people thinking, thinking through it and getting different opinions out there. Again, the Gartner article and the, uh, the downloadable was called Nine Future of Work Trends Post-COVID-19. We definitely recommend you take a spin on it, go through them all, think critically about your organization and which ones uh, do you gravitate to and, and how could you incorporate them into, into your enterprise. So Dave, really good chatting with you. We, we've been talking with Dave Messenger, CTO at Topcoder. Uh, we recommend go check out that Gartner article. Dave, more importantly for folks who want to get like just more knowledge about you, what's a good place they could find you? Is it Twitter? Is it LinkedIn? What's, uh, where do you like to hang out socially? Probably either Twitter or uh, LinkedIn. I tend to be more of a listener on Twitter than tweeting as much as I probably should. But uh, I'd love to hear any feedback or comments on, on the article or, or gig work in general. Happy to enter in those, debate, those debates. And what's the, uh, what's the handle? It's uh, D-Messing, D-M-E-S-S-I-N-G. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks so much. So for the Upriser listeners, thanks for, for joining us. We hope you've been enjoying the podcast. And, you know, really the best thing you can do for us at this point is subscribe, hit the like button, hit the, hit the subscribe, and the, the little bell on YouTube. We, we have these out on audio, on video, wherever your ears are. So if it's Spotify or Apple or Google, go there, rate it, you know, drop us a comment. It really helps out. And, uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun on this podcast. We hope the conversations are useful for, for you and yours. So thanks, Dave. Have a me, fun. Thanks. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.